Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Today's guest is pianist. Eldar Jangarov, who you probably know just by his first name, Eldar. His new CD on Sony is called Virtue, and it opens this way with a tune called Exposition. My guest is pianist Eldar Jangirov. His new CD is called Virtue. It's on Sony, and it's my pleasure to welcome Eldar to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Uh, you've said that uh, this CD is, is kind of a soundtrack of your life since you moved from New York to L.A. How so? No, the other way around. The other way <laughs> From L.A. to New York. L.A. to New York. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, can you talk about how, how so? In what ways has that move affected the music that you're making? I'm uh, very excited for the release of uh, the new album, Virtue, because I think um, it certainly marks a certain chapter uh, uh, in uh, the musical direction that I'm taking. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of things have to do with the creation of uh, this album. And uh, um, first of all, you know, the music that uh, that's recorded on the record is um, is something that um, I've been working to achieve 
um, for several years, and I've been working on a certain sound, I've been working on a certain compositional elements of the music uh, for several years, uh, hoping to achieve this sound. And certainly um, one of the things that made it possible was uh, when I met uh, the musicians who are playing, uh, the core trio uh, who are playing in the record, who are Armando Gola on bass and Ludwig Afonso on the drums. Um, when we came together, you know, I had a lot of this material ready by the time I uh, I was in New York at the time. So as we uh, started playing this music, we actually played this music for about six months before recording the album. And we recorded the album um, in December of 2008. So by the time uh, the record was recorded and captured in the studio, it had a, a certain amount of um, positive evolution to the tunes, to the way we develop the tunes, to the way we interact on them, to the way we... Uh, uh, let them grow um, in ourselves. So um, that was kind of like the preliminary story to uh, uh, making the record. And when you say that you were uh, kind of in search of or, or working toward a particular compositional style and sound, can you, can you talk more about that? What have you been working on compositionally that you feel like you've achieved on the new record? Many different things. Um, one of the things, you know, just the development of uh, uh, melodic syntax, uh, harmonic color, um, the development of rhythmic codes, um, you know, all these different things and the way they work with each other, um, and certainly the synergy of the way the band interacts, you know, that, that has so much to do with the music, the, the, the group sound. And that's what, um, you know, took uh, a lot of the developing because uh, each musician took a lot of the ideas that I wrote down and, um, you know, all the lines and all the, all the concepts that I put down, they took them and took it to another level. So they developed the record, they developed the tunes, and they developed the uh, the sound of uh, of what the record sounds like. So it's it was kind of like a you know a process to get into that point to record that record. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your your trio mates, um, how you met them, and what makes them such a good fit for you musically? Uh, I love playing with the band because each member has a distinct personality. Uh, Armando has a distinct personality. Um, when I think of uh, certain things that he does, you know, when I write music, and especially as I was writing uh, some of the music uh, during the times that we were rehearsing, um, uh, playing it, um, I knew how they sounded. I knew how Ludwig sounded. I knew how Armando sounded. So when I thought about their sound, I knew what they were going to interpret it like. So they took that, and um, keeping that in mind, that made the writing easier, that made the writing as, as specific to the concept that we were doing. So you were very much writing for the ensemble that would eventually perform the music. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And uh, certainly when we met and when we started actually developing more, it started to be more and more that way as I kept writing. So by the time the record came out, um, I certainly have developed certain things uh, with, their, with their touch to it that, uh, that led up to that point. Uh, so, taking into account, you know, the environment of the studio in the first place, uh, how much of it sounds like there's a lot of kind of uh, you know precision and through composition on the record. Uh, how much room was there for the kind of group interaction uh, that you're talking about when you were actually in the studio? A lot, a lot, because uh, the tunes there's a certain form to the tunes and there's uh, guidelines and at times they're strict because uh, you know there, there's a certain way that the music is played and there's a certain way the music is executed. So um, a lot of times, a lot of things are in the heads, are written out, um, almost like classical music. So it's, it's, it's precise, and uh, um, these guidelines um, are the guidelines for the uh, improvisation. So when we start soloing on the forms, um, either they are the original forms that uh, the tunes were, which at times are kind of long, or 
they're uh, more so like collages of the original idea that are developed. So some of the tunes are, you know, uh, written, uh, I guess the best way to describe it is a uh, rhapsodic way. You know, something that was based on impulse, something that was based on the fact that there's an idea, there's a line, and the next line that uh, was made and during the writing process um, affirms the logic of the line before. So the way um, the music is written, you know, it's, it's written in a free way, and there are points where it loops, and uh, that's what the form is. I've been talking a lot uh, to composers recently about the idea of kind of inspirational versus a craft approach to writing music. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, you know I woke up in the middle of the night and wrote it down versus I sit at the at the piano or whatever instrument for some number of hours every day trying yeah. to get something. And do, do you find yourself in one camp or the other, or kind of moving between both? Uh, absolutely both. I mean, pretty much every scenario that. Uh that uh, is possible, you know, with, with, you know, the right tools. I mean, I, I have written a tune or an idea that way because uh, a lot of times I can't really wait for divine inspiration to start writing music because writing music is a lot like uh, a habit. If you don't do it, you're not writing a lot of music. That's, that's the thing that I found um, because when you start writing and you, you get on that, you know, on that, on that roll, you start making more and more music, you know, and uh, the more you make, the more comes out. And when you stop that process, it's hard to, you know, that, that's how I feel. So one of the things, and it's hard sometimes, you know, you have to keep writing. Even, even the ideas that uh, might lead to something else, those are the ideas that propel um, basically, you know, your research. And that kind of research, you know, you just um, try to dedicate as much time as possible. And that's certainly what I did uh, um, when making uh, when making this record, because I dedicated a lot of time and uh, a lot of time into the writing and into that research. So do you find that you're the kind of writer who has, uh, you know, a million kind of fragments around, and as you come back to them, you say, oh, now I have a, a, a purpose for this or another idea for this? Sometimes, sometimes not. It, it, it varies. It varies so much. I mean, it, it just varies really on, on the environment and, and the mood and, and, and just so many things. I mean, I don't think there's a set way of looking at things, but I think the, the most set way that I think gets things done is actually doing it. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like actually sitting down, and sometimes you could just uh, play and get an idea. You develop that idea, and that's what I mean by, you know, writing out of an impulse where you have an idea, and it's the smallest idea, but that idea is good, and you develop it into something else. Another thing that you could do is, you know, when you hear music, and that's part of the reason that, you know, so much music inspires music at the end of the day. The greatest inspiration for making music, I, I believe, is music. So when I hear something, I, I, I hear different things that I can incorporate and, into my own playing. But the most important thing about that, you know, you have, to, you have to know what is intrinsically attracted to your personality versus things that are not attracted to your personality. So if you choose the things that you're truly, that you're truly um, attracted by instinct, that's what I think is going to make uh, uh, the most out of your ideas, and that's going to influence the things in, the, in a, such a manner that's going to be appropriate to your personality is going to be appropriate to your music and also going to be appropriate to what you're trying to do in your vision. Yeah, that's an interesting point because, uh, you know, many musicians will say that they actually don't listen to a lot of, either a lot of other music or sometimes a lot of other music in the genre in which they perform um, so that whatever comes out of their own heads is kind of as purely their own creative like who? It can be. Uh, actually, I've interviewed a number of people over the years, none of whose names I'll be able to come up with on the on the spot, but who said, you know, actually, like I've said, who do you who do you listen to, or what do you listen to? And a lot of them have said, you know, well, actually, I don't listen to a lot of the stuff. Uh, you know, the, certainly when they were coming up, it was different as they were kind of learning and assimilating. Um, mm-hmm. And so your your approach sounds well, what to me sounds much more natural, which is to be influenced by what's in your environment. Uh, influence to a certain degree where you're not trying to make a copy of it. That's the thing, you know. Uh, I believe that music yeah. is an experience. You know, it, it should reflect your experience. It should reflect your personality. But m- mostly it should reflect a certain time that you're living in. You know, so if you're hearing something, it should be appropriate to the time and the environment that you're living in. You know, if you're living in 2009, the thing should sound like you're living in 2009. You know, even though there's a certain... Um, if you want to have a certain understanding of music and, and you follow certain ideas, whether for me, for example, I mean, bebop is a strong uh, language melodically in the way we solo during these forms is something that, that's always in the back of, of my mind and I think in the back of the, the musician's mind because the way the syncopations go, the way the harmony moves, um, and the way um, the attack of the music and some, um, the appropriate tunes that I'm talking about um, goes, it, it, it makes me feel those things. It makes me feel... Uh, um, where I'm going, you know. So I mean, it's 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 a it's a number of different things that uh, that I've been exposed to, and that's how I uh, that's why I think this record in particular is a um, a, a culmination of many things uh, that I have been um, reaching for, you know, things that I've been exposed to, things that I've wanted to say. So how how do you take the bebop language um, and make that? Uh, present in 2009 how do you make it relevant to 2009 well i mean i think it's a uh, when you talk about in straight the languages when you when you take a tune um say you take an up-tempo tune on the record and you look at the way the harmony moves versus the syncopations of the melody and those things are applicable in the way i approach when i improvise you know when i improvise on those particular forms, there are certain things that are going. I mean, whether it's a rhythmic uh, code that's going, you know, a certain impulse, or there's a, a certain harmonic structure that I follow. So there's certain different approaches that I use consistently throughout the whole record. 
You know, so um, maybe I should ask that question a better way. Um, maybe a better way to ask it would be: What is it that places this record in 2009 for for a listener or for you? What What is it about this record that you believe places it in 2009? I'm just interested in in what you hear that you think set, settles it in this period where you live. I guess it goes back to the original thought when, when you uh, when you said um, this record is something that I noted as is almost like an experience, a soundtrack to to uh, some of the things that I experienced here living in New York, which is certainly true, you know, in a certain way because uh, the music, so much of the things that were happening around me, I channeled into something that that's what it came out. You know, the the musicians that I was playing with. Uh, helped me and guided the music in their own ways, you know, on their individual uh, level uh, of making the music sound a certain way. What makes it um, what makes it you know relevant to the time is uh, the fact that um, this music comes out of my natural impulse. It comes out of the way I hear things. It comes out of uh, uh, how I hear music and how uh, the musicians that are playing with me are. Um, music right yeah I mean I, so I get that the reason this music sounds like your music is because it's your music but um, mm-hmm. I guess the what what about this album couldn't have happened in 1977 for example other than the fact that you know you probably weren't born but I mean other than, than that if you could transport yourself back in time what what about this would be anachronistic then um, what, I d- would, uh, what would sound like something in 1977 yeah, no, I don't mean. Well, yeah, I, I don't mean it. Well, for one thing, I think the synthesizers might be a, a fair answer to that question. But my larger point is, um, when you said you wanted to place the music in in two thousand nine, when you make an album, it should sound like two thousand nine. Um, I'm just I'm interested in kind of delving more deeply into what into what that means. What is jazz? It's, in a, it's a language. It's the language of the music. It's not necessarily the the tone of the synthesizer that I use, you know, at at certain points to outline uh, the climax, because if you think about the synth, it's the same synth that's used consistently at consistent spots for the same effect throughout the whole record. So the the goal of where it's placed is uh, a similar goal through the record at different points of different tunes, you know. So it's never, uh, it's not synth-based. And uh, there's a consistent synth bass that, that goes throughout each tune. You uh, you probably you may have been aware recently of all this the talk that's been going around about whether or not uh, younger people and people younger than forty basically still ever go to see jazz. And there was all the kind of hoopla after the Wall Street Journal piece that said that no, they don't. Um, and you're in your twenties, and I so I wonder first of all who who comes to your shows, and what do your friends who are kind of the same age as you but who aren't jazz musicians think about what you do for a living? You know, it's funny when I was uh, when I was a bit younger, um, I, I had more friends who weren't who weren't jazz musicians, you know, and uh, I, I think I was more aware of that back then. But I think if I could take that experience and fast forward to today, because uh, most of the people that uh, I uh, come in contact with happen to be musicians, um, yeah, and it seems to be to, to be like that more all the time, you know. But the thing is. Um, it's a funny thing, you know. I know exactly what you're talking about. The uh, the Wall Street uh, when they printed that article, and um, I remember reading it. And uh, it's an interesting article because it brings a certain interesting point, you know. And uh, uh, one of the things that I think uh, when, when when I think of that, there's um, I guess a couple things that I think of that. 
there are different musicians in New York, for example, that play different kinds of visions of what the music is or what, what they think the music should be, right? Different groups of people have a certain different, uh, I don't want to say musicality, but uh, style or a certain approach that they want the music to go, and that's what they explore, and that's what they, uh, that's what they want to see. There's different groups. There's many different groups. Um, one of the things that, um, that I hope to see more is uh, an Internet presence for jazz. An internet presence for jazz that's not outdated, outdated 15 years. <laughs> that's one of the things that, that, that that's, that's, I don't know if it's number one thing that I would say, but it's certainly, uh, you know, all, all things when, thing, when people say what went wrong or what, what's right or what's, what's good or what's bad. I mean, it's usually a combination of things. And you can't really pinpoint to one thing that went wrong, but I think it's more of a combination of, uh, of uh, fortunate or unfortunate events that leads up to a certain point. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, if if we want people who live in the internet age to interact with this music, then putting it on the internet in a way that doesn't look like it was put there in 1984 is uh, is pretty useful. So, yeah, I I, I think you're you're yeah. exactly right. Um, you just uh, you finished. Uh, I think it was maybe about a week and a half ago now. A run at the Jazz Standard. How how did that go? The, the Standard was a great experience. I. I enjoyed playing there. Um, uh, we played the, a lot of the music from the new album, and uh, it was a blast. It was a blast. So to kind of uh, to bring that back to the previous question, what kinds of folks? Uh, I mean, I've been to a lot of shows at the Jazz Standard, and there's some kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, standard crowd there. But uh, what kind of folks come out to your shows there or all anywhere kinds else? Of folks. All kinds of folks: uh, uh, musicians, um, students, uh, uh, people that are music fans, older people, younger people, people in their 30s and their 40s, young kids, mothers bringing their young children, um, uh, tourists. Pretty much everybody, everybody, you know, I, a few people came in that uh, that saw my show like a year ago in Germany, and they were like, wow, we were in New York, and we saw the Jazz Standard ad, and we wanted to come. So, I mean, all kinds of people come to these shows, and I think that's what that's what makes uh, the music and this 
certain particular kind of music, you know, is so universal, you know, because so many people have the chance to connect to it. You know, it brings me to the other point, you know, the question that you asked before, you know, the whole the Wall Street Journal. I wanted to ask you, what do you think about that? Besides the Internet, what do you think from, from, where, from where your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that there's a ton of great music being made that young people are going to watch and that may or may, or may not be jazz. Well, who knows? I don't even know what jazz means, first of all. But if we take it to mean creative, improvised music, then I think there's a ton of that kind of music being made in New York uh-huh. and elsewhere that people... Yeah, you know, I'm in my 30s, and that people between your age and my age and slightly older are, in fact, going to see. And I kind of wonder whether the people who are writers for the Wall Street Journal are in those same crowds, and so maybe they're not seeing as much of that scene. But, I mean, I you know, this, the whole Jazz is Dead thing is very cyclical, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, every... I don't know if it's every decade or so, but every several years, you know, jazz dies again, and meanwhile, it keeps going on, and people are creating exciting new music, and obviously younger people are going to see it because there are a constant inflow of new musicians to the music. Um, There's a certain level of exposure that that brings a certain art-oriented music down. Um, you know, the, just like the, you know, the same article they were talking about that the attendance to jazz and classical shows gets older and smaller, right? That that was the argument. And, and the thing is, uh, not enough young people are being reached with this music. But first of all, it, it makes me wonder if if they grew up listening to the pop radio, right? And they, the first thing that they hear is uh, is that that sound, you know, they hear pop radio. How how are we going to get them to appreciate uh, jazz or classical if they've never been exposed to it, say, by the time they're 18? Yeah, well, I don't know. It happens all the time. I mean, um, you know, people hear, first of all, when they, the, the whole thing, the whole thing about the NEA survey, one of the issues that I have with it is, if you ask the question, have you gone to a jazz show in the last year? That is completely the answer to that question is completely open to the person's definition of what of what jazz means, and right. you know so who knows what the respondents to that question actually meant, and who knows what they saw in the previous year? Certainly, no one who reads the NEA study, and certainly no one who read the Wall Street Journal piece. So, first of all, just operating on those numbers, I think that whole thing is pretty sketchy. And then, okay. second of all, I mean, there's entire generations of people who've grown up now listening to improvised music. I mean, first of all, there was an entire generation of people who grew up listening to The Grateful Dead, where, you know, one song would go for 40 minutes, and 80% of it was improvised. And then there's been the generation after them, their their kids, who've grown up listening to the jam band scene, and, you know, start. I mean, starting with Fish when the dead faded out, and into Medeski, Martin, and Wood, and groups like that, who are very comfortable with creative improvisation who would never call that music jazz and probably no one else would either and then there's a whole group of people who are really comfortable with the complex rhythmic things that are going on in musics you know like hip-hop and in a lot of musics from other parts of the world that we call world music because we live in the u.s but you know music from other places in the world and people are very comfortable with that there's you know huge salsa scenes in lots of cities Uh, there's obviously a huge hip-hop scene all over the world and so i think people are already ready to to hear this music and then if the more uh, I don't want to dig myself a hole here but the more jazz that is performed that sounds like it is in 1950 uh-huh. I think the more it ignores that piece of the market and that's why I was so interested in the whole question of what places your album in 2009 because for me that's that's vital I mean it's um, it's 
it's incredibly important for me that music that's being made now and that chooses not to be, you know, completely free in some way, which is, I think, also a valid expression, but music that tries to take something from the culture around it, um, you know, does that well, that's why it's a, social, it's a certain, like, um, the best title for just calling certain, you know, certain directions is just social music. You know, things that sure. borrow from the things that are around you and the things that you see and the things that you apply into your own vocabulary, you know, and, you know, you think about the things that have changed people's perception of the music. And you think about those things that are present in jazz and what what their perception of jazz is, you know. And if you ask a person, uh, you know, who who what's jazz? Wh- who's a jazz artist? You know, the things that you will experience just by looking at like a Billboard chart, right? Just if you look at the Billboard chart, who's on the top jazz Billboard chart? You know, does that define jazz? Yet it's in the major publication like Billboard that's supposed to you know make this huge statement about the industry. So that's another thought, you know, to keep in mind. And you know what, exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, and, I mean, I think you could take a track off your record, and I think you could play it for a number of people who are into kind of other scenes, whether it's the jam, you know, kind of the jam band scene or some of the more, like, experimental music scenes. You, I think you could take a track off your record and play it for them, and they would find a lot that was in common with the music they were already familiar with. And right. And yet, if you package it as... You know, if you say, well, this is a jazz record, check this out, you, instantly you've probably already lost a ton of people. And I think uh, in in many ways, we kind of as a as a genre are, aren't capitalizing on the fact that I think a lot of people are already ready to hear this music. I don't think, I mean, I hate the whole like jazz priesthood thing where, you, you know, you have to like get indoctrinated into the rites and do tons of study. I mean, there's tons of music people could listen to right now and feel an emotional and intellectual connection to and they're already they're already ready for it and you know i think your album is a is a case in point and there's tons of music being made like this um and so i hope so i mean i hope so i mean it's an interesting it's an interesting way to look at things because i know exactly what you mean but then again you know you you uh, you spend some time with people that have not been exposed to certain kinds of music and a lot of the same things that we're talking about are still far away because because people are so used to i mean i mean just think about uh the concept of rhythm and the way people perceive rhythm right the way they feel rhythm i mean just something something as 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 uh as uh, simple as it begins as a statement and as complicated as it gets musically in uh, in you know from a scholastic point of view when you look at that you know what do people hear a lot of the times you hear polka you know techno that's a polka beat in in electronics right you hear that you hear hip hop, you know, you hear rock, you hear a similar four groove that people can relate to. You know, they 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 hear that, and so many so much of the times that people actually um, gravitate gravitate towards is, is the words. A lot of people just don't even listen to the music; they just listen to the words. And that's that's another thing that uh, that has to do with the with a certain amount of vocabulary. You know, that has to do with a certain education with of being exposed to a certain music and. Um, you know, listening to the music. Uh, the other thing that people also listen to that I found is the actual color of the music, and that's and that's a, and that's a, kind of a, a complicated thing to to talk about in words. But um, you know, color of the music to them has so much to do with what they experience. Uh, before the actual notes, before harmonies, before rhythm, before the words. 
just the actual sound of how they experience the music, uh, and especially, you know, the younger generation of 2009, I mean, there's a certain different element because people, I think, are more sonically aware than they ever were with, uh, with the inception of um, electronics. Yeah, I think that's right, and and much higher fidelity ability to capture audio, and and I mean you can actually hear, you know, we it, we don't have any idea what really what some of the greats you know from the past sounded like because all we have are recordings of them that are missing so much of what the actual sound was, um, you know, and you can also. I think another question that this leads to, um, and you know, we could this show could end up being seven hours long. But I think another question this leads to is um, what the actual, what the exposure goal of music, of jazz musicians is. I mean, if if the goal is for jazz to regain some kind of like primacy of place in the music world, that day is not coming. You know, what are what are we judging the success of improvised music against? If we're judging, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you a, g- a great example that I was, um, you know, this relates to when I was at North Sea Jazz Festival. I was hanging out with um, Nicholas Payton, and we were just, uh, you know, hanging out, and uh, there was a jam session, and we just started talking about music, and because you know he played a track on my album, and um, that was actually the time that I gave him the complete album because it was just written and you know he was checking it out and everything and, and then we started talking about music and we started talking about uh, perception of the youth of the jazz musicians I mean one thing I mean about the, the, the jazz you know just you know it, it seems um, you know people in jazz a lot of times are a lot interested in impressing the other jazz musicians <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not concerned so much about the public, and a lot of times their their sole uh, output is based on the criteria of what other musicians think. Now that has to do something with the fact that the, the music that musicians are playing is is an art. It's a certain craft. There's a certain dedication that goes into it, and and what the output is, you know, it, it's you you certainly hope that it, uh, that speaks from a distinctive. Uh, uh, vision. It speaks from a certain, you know, somebody who has a personality. But at the same time, it brings up an interesting question because, you know, Nicholas was saying, you know, 
all these people are always paying attention. You know, they're playing to impress. So every time they're being played, it's like they're being evaluated every time they play. And that's, that's an interesting thing to just think about. You know, what, what is an experience from a person that never heard jazz or doesn't have any idea what, what jazz is? How do they experience a live show today? Are they evaluating it? Are they are enjoying it? You, you know what I'm saying? And, and that comes from, from the perspective of the artist. What is the artist doing on the stage? Is he trying to impress the crowd? Is he trying to impress the musicians? You know, and that's and that has to do with uh, acceptance, and you know. But at the same time, you know, it's like uh, in jazz, if somebody gets popular, um, there's a you know there's a notion of somebody sold out, right? And you know what I'm saying. So it's it's it becomes a catch twenty two. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I wonder whether uh, you know Nicholas's point about people playing for other musicians. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it, but if it is, it's in, it would be interesting to think about whether it's the case because no one else cares. Because jazz has become such a niche music that really almost the only people you, you can play for who are going to have the wherewithal to hear what you're doing are other musicians. It's just, you know, once you've, if you've lost the, if you've lost the popular ear, then who else are you going to play for? Um, but you gotta, you gotta also keep in mind that the pop industry is designed on image. Oh yeah, totally. And not really the music so far. It's 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 a it's a package, and and music has become such a commodity. When you hear when you go to you know rock or pop shows, you see people enjoying the vibe, you know, their drink, the company, you know, the girls that are there, whatever. I mean, but the music is like a background thing to a lot of other things that are happening. When a jazz show comes in, it's like everybody's paying attention, you know, or you hope so, you know. You know, just the way people perceive the music is different because uh, uh, the way jazz musicians are uh, want to be perceived is, is uh, from a point of view of intellect. Yeah, so, although you know, I mean, Miles and Elvis were popular at the same time. You know, I mean, I, there is certainly, uh, and in fact, I think Miles is a great example of um, a person who uh, certainly wa- you know wanted to be respected for who he was as a musician, uh, and I think achieved that. But who also, I mean, crafted a very smart. You know, public image. Whether it was smart from a, uh, you know, cuddly fan, uh, pleasing point of view, I, I think is open to question. Probably not, but it was certainly brilliant. I mean, he had a he had an image, he had a, a look, a style, a fashion in a way that you know not a lot of other musicians in, in his time, you know, were copying. And yet, still, there were incredibly commodified artists at the same time. I mean, the commodification of music isn't. It's not like it's something that just happened. Although it. Maybe it's uh, happening to a greater degree of saturation now because the corporations are so much larger. Uh, yeah, I mean, but you also have to think about this. You know, Miles, what he did was appropriate for the time, and whatever happens in the future uh, to you know bring that certain uh, same level. Uh, if you're talking about just the pop media attention of the people paying attention to the music and you know not having bad associations with the word jazz, when you think about that, uh, the People that have to be coming um, now in this day and age, they have to be uh, relevant to what's going on now. And if they're relevant to what's going on now, then uh, you hope that there's going to be a certain uh, culture that's going to be developed with it in the public media, you know, the pop media, you know. So, uh, but that that brings you right back. Sound like Miles, you know? It's just certainly not going to sound like that music 50 years ago. No, yeah, oh yeah, no, absolutely not. But that, I mean, that kind of brings me right back to one of the first 
you know, questions that I asked about what situates your music in 2009. And I mean, the, the word relevant is very loaded in that sentence. I mean, what, what does it actually mean to be, first of all, what does the music mean for the music to be relevant? And second of all, what elements of, of modern culture does it have to incorporate to be relevant? And what if, and how does it incorporate those things? What if, what if incorporating those things is not true to the music, uh, you know. So I mean, there's like there's so many questions. I mean, does that mean your one of some of your tunes have to be over a hip hop beat, or does that you know? No, what, I don't what think does so it mean? What, what That's I a think, fascinating uh, question. What I think the core of the music that makes relevant, I think there's a few elements. From a scholastic point of view, there's a certain language that needs to be present in the music in order to make the music captivating enough um, as an art form. You know, because what, when you're talking about certain things that are accessible, and uh, again to the very original thing, even something as simple in the eyes of the public as rhythm, they perceive certain things in a repetitive notion, right? So you have to present certain things uh, in order for them to, to, to be easy to understand, right? Um, but at the same time, you have to think about this. The language from a scholastic point of view has to progress. At the same time, the thing that I was talking about in, in the first place is uh, the actual sound of the record. The actual sound of the record is is important to incorporate a certain vision of what things sound like and what their relevance is to everything else that's going on around um, you in a positive way. You know what I mean? And that has to do with something what uh, what's happening around. I guess the only the only part of that I I don't exactly understand the way you're using the the word, and that's the part I, I'm trying to get at is what what you how are you using the word sound in that phrase when you say the actual sound of the record has to place it in its modern context i mean other i assume we're not talking about like the actual quality of the recording but what 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 part of the sound are you actually talking about i'm talking about the the actual sound of the record i'm talking about the things the the space that the 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 music is is played in the space the the sound the actual um define it without using the word sound Define the word sound without using the word sound again. It, it, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of things. It's, it's from the way the musicians play to the way the things are recorded. You know what I mean? It's, it's both things. It's not just, it's, not just it's, it's both things combined. It's the way the, the record captures the sound of the musicians. You know? Sure, and... Other than that, representing technological advance, what what makes that what makes that modern? I mean, that's obviously a record. That's, that's the way the musicians sound, and that's the way the musicians sound. So it's not a technological thing. It's the way the musicians are sounding in that ambience, and the way the things are recorded, and the way they play. What things they choose to uh, you know to interpret? How they interpret the music? The way they play. That's what. I'm talking about. Okay, and so you're you're suggesting that there are elements of, for example, on your album Virtue, that there are elements of the way uh, you musicians interact that are inherently uh, modern or rel- or uh, informed by the time in which you live. That would not they would not have existed in in another time. Because in a way, they're... in a way, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the best way to do it is to actually listen to the record and experience. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, to talk about those things because so many of them are in the music, in the way the music is played, in the way just the concept of music, the way it sounds, is, is, um, is a certain way that's done 
that I see the music in the way I see the music. You know what I mean? And, and it's and it's uh, it's just the way it comes out. You know, it's not it's not me trying to be like, oh, you know, I really checked out this this particular thing that has a completely similar vision as this. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know what I'm trying to say? No, yeah, I definitely do, and I think I think the main point of all of that was that the best thing for people to do is to check out the record. If they want to hear what it is, you think about what's happening in the music these days, and I highly recommend people do that, because uh, we've talked for 40 minutes about uh, various other things that were not the record, and at the at the heart of all of this is the fact that Eldar has made a great album that I really think you should check out. Uh, my guest is Eldar. His new album on Sony is Virtue. And uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, talking with you, man. And I, um, if, if this was like a seven-part documentary series, I, I would... Uh, I would say we could fill it all up because there's uh, yeah, there's so it's, much it's, to it's, talk it's, about it's, where the music. We concerned. we we got to get together and we got to like just hang and talk about all these things in person in front of instruments and in front of uh, different records and in front of this record. You know? That would be fun, man. I really I'd really enjoy that. Well, next time I'm in New York, I'll uh, if you're not on the road, I'll look you up and we'll uh, we'll make it happen. That's Eldar from his album Virtue. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which you can join by visiting TheJazzSession.com. There's also a Facebook group for the show, and I give away music at both of those places from time to time, so if you'd like to win some free music and find out what's happening on the show, you can join either or both of those things. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. 
The Jazz Session is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.